Welcome to The Doctor Diaries, a podcast which will take you behind the scenes of the intriguing medical world. Join me, Hanya Rothersby, an experienced business consultant in the medical sphere, as I chat to our guests who will take us through their insights, experiences and ideas as an expert, thought leader and trailblazer in this exciting medical world. Welcome to the Dr. Diaries podcast. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Deb Farnworth-Wood. Deb is the CEO of Asada Cosmetics and a career entrepreneur. Um, This dynamic person is absolutely amazing, and I'm so excited to have her on our podcast today, but a bit about Deb first. So Deb is a serial entrepreneur and the founder of the world-leading aesthetic franchise, Australian Skin Clinics. Born in Kenya and raised in the UK, Deb's remarkable story is one of moving to the other side of the world to retire, only to build a $70 million business, which she sold in 2019. Um, Deb's career has been punctuated by firsts, which we'll explore here in the podcast. Amazing um, story to tell, but I'd love to know more about the Australian Skin Clinic story and how we are here now with the Sada Clinical Skin Care range. Welcome, Deb. Hi, Hanya. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Um, I've seen your um, career progress over the years. I'm a great admirer of yours. You're an amazing businesswoman, and um, I'm so glad you found a minute. <laughs> Join us on the podcast. So I suppose, Deb, I'd love you to take us right to the beginning and Tell us about your journey on getting where you are. Uh, well, taking it to the beginning will be quite hard because I'm actually quite old, so you probably <laughs> don't really want to start there. Um, I suppose I've been really lucky in my career journey. I've always done what I've wanted to do. I've had opportunities that I could take and I did take, um, and I've really enjoyed my life at work. But people who have known me for years will say all I do is work. But I think when you do something you enjoy, it's not so hard. Um, My career spans hospitality, retail. Um, I did a stint for 18 years in the UK health system. So I was a partner in general practice, the, um, the first UK manager to be a partner in a GP practice because that wasn't legal when I first started and we, we made it legal. Um, we we owned our own pharmacy. We were the first GP practice to own our own pharmacy, which also wasn't legal, and we made it legal. Um, opened the first drive-through pharmacy in the UK, which again wasn't done before, and we made that happen. So really exciting sort of things. And then my husband, who had always had a love affair with Australia, so we we actually got married on the Sunshine Coast on Majimba Beach. So when we got married that year, he he said I'd love to live here, and I said over my dead body there's not enough happening in Australia for me and then 15 years on he'd convinced me you know I'd worked hard enough we could retire and we'd move to Australia and that's kind of what we did but within weeks realized that the great dream of spending every day on the beach doesn't work with someone who's fair-skinned as I am and who's as active as I am so I think I retired for six weeks um but I'd bought the original Australian skin clinics to get the visa to stay. Yes. And so, and it was run under management. So my intent was not to work in it, but because I got bored, I kind of went back to work and, and then the rest is history. I built the franchise. 
Yes. Um, and that's, and a, that's a huge success story. Absolutely. Yeah, so we went from one clinic to 60 in five years, which my own my own business plan was to get to seven in five years. So I even smashed my own goals, you know. And that was through the help of some amazing staff, through amazing opportunities. Um, I could always see aesthetics was going to grow hugely. And in fact... When I was in the UK, I was in an amazing partnership. 18 years I did with the same eight partners. Yes. And we had a blast. We did lots of amazing things and lots of firsts. But the one thing I couldn't really persuade them on was this aesthetics thing. So this is when laser hair removal was just really coming into the forum. Botox was just really starting there. And they never really got it. Whereas I, I sort of saw that one day having Botox and fillers will be just as common as having your hair colored and tinted, which it will be in the end. And so that belief came with me. And although I bought the clinic, I didn't buy the clinic for that reason. I just bought a business that I understood, you know, it was a medical business that would be easy to get a visa. And I initially planned to resell the clinic once I got my visa, but I kept it and I still have that. I still have that original clinic. Oh, that's amazing. That, that yeah. is um, uh, incredible to hear that you've kept the original clinic even though you grew that to 60. So, Deb, maybe we can just stay on the Australian Skin Clinics for a minute. And what I'm really um, an admirer of yours is to be uh, to have that vision of what's next and, you know, making that happen. As you said, you said, all laser hair removal, um, Botox and fillers will be like getting your hair done and that's amazing. So how do you, I suppose, because on the Dr Diaries podcast, we have a lot of listeners have their own businesses as well. So uh, how do you translate that vision into a reality? Like how do you go about making that happen? If you had your journey in the UK and here in um, Australia, yeah. what's your first steps? Like as an entrepreneur... How does your mind work? I know I'm asking. Yeah, yeah no, no. So I um, I have a mind map exercise I do for everything. So I could be brainstorming, you know, an extension to the house, my new car, anything. My mind has never worked in straight lines or straight lists. So if I'm ever planning anything, it's a big piece of paper with lots of mind map ideas coming out of it. So I, I the, the background to wanting to franchise was quite simply – the original clinic had about 14 staff when I bought it originally and 24 by the time I was franchising. And we ran, I think it was 12 or 14 treatment rooms. So it was a big clinic and it was over two floors. And so, you know, some of the staff would hide upstairs chatting and I'd have to go up there and corral them back down. And, and I kind of got into this vein of thinking, you know, it's really hard running a clinic like this. You can't replicate this. We had a storeroom and a store's staff member to run all the consumables we needed because we did so many treatments. It was a huge number of treatments, more than the franchise clinics had in the end. Um, and I kind of thought there's got to be an easier way of doing this. Now, in, in the UK, franchising is not particular or not as, a, as popular as it is here and in the States. But I knew about franchising. I, I did know people who were in franchising in the UK, so I knew a little bit. And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, it's surely it's better to have it, one franchisee to corral along than a whole team of staff. Those metrics don't didn't really come to fruition, actually, in the end, but that was my theory at the time. 
And so I started exploring that idea and I got out the mind map and I said, right, what is franchising? And so it's multiple sites all doing the same thing. Well, what experience have I got on that? Well, lots because I've been in retail. And in fact, one of my jobs in retail was writing stores procedure for a department store chain. So we already knew how to make multiple units do the same thing. It's, you know, and it's about the, the metrics of business. What are the key performance indicators? And I knew that because I'd other businesses. So I just made this massive sheet of everything I needed to know and what I didn't know. And then I found the people to help me with the things I didn't know, which was kind of simple. Um, I did some education. I went to uh, Griffiths University around some courses on franchising. So I took myself to the courses and it started networking with people who were in franchising. And it it's not rocket science. And, and luckily, because of all the things I've done in the past, a huge chunk of it I already knew, not necessarily connected to a franchise, but running multi-unit places is the same, whether you own them all or whether you franchise them all. Mm. They need the same systems and the same level of, you know, replication and things looking the same. So that's kind of how I go. That's how kind of how I attack everything. And I've even shown other people how to do it. So there was, um, during the franchise course training, I met a girl, a woman, actually a girl, a woman, who had um a sort of newsletter business. It was like a, you know, like you see in the coffee shops mm. where there's a local newspaper. So she had one of those type of businesses and um, she wanted to expand it. And I said, well, this is how I did, how I would look at it. And I did a, like a mind map. This was over coffee five minutes after we had arrived for this one day course. So between coffee and sitting down on the course, I'd done the mind map which I handed to her, I did it on a serviette actually, and I handed it to her. And at the coffee break, she came back with it and said, how do I turn this into a business plan? So I gave her the bullets. And then she called me a few weeks later and said, you know what, I um, I listened to everything you said and your advice, I've done the business plan and I can make it work, but printing costs are my problem. And at that time, I had a problem with printing costs in ASC and they were mm -hmm. huge. And I said, actually, that's my problem too. So on the phone, and I've never seen this woman again since. I've only spoken to her on the phone. So over the phone, she told me everything she knew about printing costs, which is more than I knew about printing costs because she got all these prints done. And between us, we came up with a joint strategy about how we were going to look at printing costs. And she went away and did it. All fine. And I went away and did my thing. But it's just kind of second nature. It's just, mm -hmm. I, it's to me, it's just a practical problem. I don't get caught up in the fear of it. It's either I can do it or I can't, but I don't know that until I've written it all down and decided. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, oh, I can't do that before they've even thought about whether they can do it. I totally agree. And, um, you know, you've what, what all the things that are resonating and I'm hearing from you is systems, obviously. That's the key. And scalability and the investment into running a business, whether it's one or a multiple, it's the oh. same efforts for you as a business owner to put those in, which is great. That's, yeah, that's important. I mean, a lot of people say to me things like, you're really lucky. I'm not lucky. I work really hard. And everyone who works for me will tell, tell you, I send them emails at 10, 11 at night, probably midnight last night, one o'clock the night before. I yeah. don't expect them to reply, but that's when I'm working. Yeah. So it is a lot of hard work in that. Um, but also a lot of education. I think I once worked out I'd spent nearly a million dollars in education on myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
but I'm nearly 60. So <laughs> that is over a career. Yeah, yeah. But it's all about that knowing what I really like to hear is that you're, um, as a business owner, it's, you're not always going to have everything at, at hand and there's that education bit. But I liked also what you said about surrounding yourself with the right people. Yeah. So that's not always easy. No, it's a, a big challenge. In fact, I think after COVID, it's an even bigger challenge because people want to work less in the traditional sense. I don't know if you're finding that as well. Absolutely. 100%. No. <laughs> well, Deb, you you have the Australian Skin Clinics and you built them up for a sale. So um, what did you keep in mind uh, or were you mindful of what, how successful that was going to be to set them up for the sale? And how long before the sale were you thinking, I've got to get this right, you know, in that time that you had those, those businesses? So... As I said, my original business plan was that I would, by year five, I'd have seven. Mm. And my plan was originally not to sell them. That was, I, I didn't want to sell them. That was, you know, I'll be clear about that. Um, the sale took place in two parts. So um, initially I decided I'd bring on a business partner who I perceived as having more uh, knowledge than I had in different areas and areas where we, we knew we could be better. So I've sold 50% of the business in um, 2016. And prior to that, I think it's important, credibility is important to me. And so I'm, I got, I upscaled my accountants. So I went to a, a top five accountancy firm. I got advice from the best. I spoke to franchise experts and franchise sale experts, a couple of consultants. So I got people involved who would look at the business in a critical way and tell me what was good, what was bad, what I could do better to, to get it through. I also got to, had an advisory board, had two exceptional advisors on that. And they we didn't meet that often. It was probably monthly or two monthly, I can't remember now. But when we met, you know, I would say these are the things I'm looking at and they would tell me whether they were priorities or not. And I would get some input from them, often a lot of shortcuts. You know, they'd go, you need to speak to this person and they'd refer me to people to talk to. So that was really good. So by the time that first merger happened, um, all the accounts had been done by, you know, a top-notch accountant for several years. So there could never, ever be any dispute about the the, the money, the lines, everything was mm -hmm. right. I mean, so often you, you hear people trying to sell business and they say this is how much it makes on paper, but off paper there's more. Well, you, a business is worth nothing off paper. So mm -hmm. everything was legitimate. So that was the first part. And then the second part is I already had, because of my background in systems and procedures, I actually had every system in place before I even launched the franchise. Now, most franchises grow and then realize they need systems and try and backfill. But because I had the sort of idea of franchising during the GFC, and that wasn't a great time to franchise, I spent the GFC period making sure the systems were top-notch, enhancing them. In the UK, we were the first medical practice to go paperless. So when I came here, the clinic wasn't paperless. So I set up all paperless systems and did all of that as well. So at the point we franchised, we were completely systemized. And sure, we improved that over time. But it meant we had full stack operational procedures from everything from finance to buy-in to housekeeping to maintenance to laser training we'd even had the development of an ATO um an ATO and RTO in place oh wow that's yeah. yeah so we already had all the training protocols and everything oh. and later we'd 
So by the time that merger took place, we already had our RTO in place. We had our own equipment supply company and we had our own, um, what did we have, RTO? A shop fitting company. We were doing our own shop fitting by then as well. Oh, wow. That was the whole solution, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then went through a merger. Um, can't talk a lot about that. I've got a, a contract on that, but we it's pretty well written up. We had a, a dispute. I ended up taking them to court. And then in the end, that it resulted in them buying me out in 2019, which wasn't my ideal. Um, but it was, for me, it was the best solution to leave and, you know, just take my money and go. And then actually that led to me buying Asada. And I think that's yes. probably one of the best things I've ever done. Like I'm having more fun now than I ever was. Um, well, yeah, let's, let's, yeah. let's, so let's tie a ribbon around um, Australian skin clinics and say, thank you very much. And you have a lot of learnings as, as well as your time in that. Uh, I've got to tell you, Deb, even just getting to this stage, you've had a, at least two or three lifetimes of business that I have my mind, <laughs> but let's go on that. So you've sold on, um, the Australian Skin Clinics in 2019 and you spotted another opportunity. So talk me through it. Well, it was two actually. So um, I had this fear, you know, first time around trying to retire was a complete failure, you know, and there was, you know, my, hus my husband did retire. So he, he gave up work back then. Now, at that point I was 44 and he was 39. So he did retire and I kept going. Um, so I did promise I would retire again, but I, I knew I wouldn't, I knew, and he knew it too. Mm -hmm. And so I had this fear of having nothing to do. And one of my sons was working um, with Australian skin clinics, and he didn't want to stay with them if I was gone. And so he, for a while he was working in the original clinic, which I kept, um, but he, he wanted to become a formulator. So he started developing a skincare range. Mm -hmm. And I... Um, I saw this little skincare range for sale. It's called Valor Organics, and mm. the actual um, website is shavewithvalor.com. But this is a really tiny boutique, organic, natural, vegan range, and it's it was born in Byron Bay. So our tagline is born and bred in Byron Bay. And so I bought this for Jack, and it was a pocket money buy. It's not a big brand. It's a small mm. range, but I thought it would keep Jack busy, showing business he could learn how to operate the websites how, how to actually make the products and and he could have that as a project to do he was at uni at the time so it was to do part-time um when covid hit he ended up working in it full-time because he couldn't do his internships that were lined up then and um and so we were doing that but we'd been talking to the previous owner of Asada at that stage for a couple of years so I'd known Fiona who was the founder of Asada for probably 10 or 12 years mm. and in those 10 or 12 years we'd had lunch or met at a party or something like that and she'd often ask me how do I grow the business and I'd often advised her but she had a few bottlenecks of her own and a few anxieties of her own and hadn't, although she'd grown it, she hadn't taken it to where she wanted it to be. And so she'd been talking to me about buying it and I kind of was in and out on the idea and there's a few reasons, we had a few stumbling blocks and bottlenecks. But by sort of oh, mid-2019 or maybe even a bit earlier, she was de definitely certain she wanted to completely sell out and so I was doing the due diligence on it. And so we ended up buying that in June 2020. 
So then we had the two skincare brands, but my idea then was we'll put them in one factory and we can make, make them happy from there. Actually saying that, Sada was only a makeup brand. But what I realised was I could use that as a distribution route for yes. the skincare that Jack had been developing. So we launched, we bought Asada in June 2020 and we launched Asada Clinical Skincare in um, November, October 2020. Mm. But we'd already been running it for two years in my existing clinic under a different name, um, but we just rebranded it to Asada and, and widened the range when we bought Asada. Oh, fantastic. And what a time to launch right in the middle of COVID. Yeah, I mean, it was a bit crazy. Um, <laughs> and I think, look, I think... I think I'd underestimated the amount of fallout from COVID. I think mm. I thought it'd be – I sort of knew there would be a recession coming. There could it not be. And, you know, I kept going back to the GFC mm. and I kept thinking, well, we got through the GFC. And, in fact, when we went through GFC, I only had one clinic and we came out the big boys at the end of it. And In fact, I actually credit the GFC with, with ASC taking off the way it did. Um, so I kind of thought, well, yeah, we'll we'll get through it. But I think some of the issues we're seeing now are very different. And um, and we will get through. I mean, we'll more than get through. Like, it's been a success story so far. But I think I'd underestimated some of the problems that we would have, things like supply chain issues, increasing shipping costs, all these things. I think um, those kind of unexpected increases in expenses and the impact it has on your uh, businesses is it's being felt across all industries especially and if you're if you're gone you know create providing a medical service I suppose is different to creating a product that needs to be developed bottled shipped there's so many more factors but I suppose in in really if you look at your skincare business it's probably the preferable business to have in COVID anyway because all the clinics had to shut down during COVID. So actually, you were, as you were saying earlier, you're probably in the right side of COVID, even though it was difficult. Yeah. And look, um, Asada had never been sold online. So that was the principle Fiona had, that was, was that she didn't want to sell online because she didn't want to look to be in competition with the stockists. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the world has changed. And if you're not online, you're nobody. And actually being online drives business to your stockist because people, more people find out about you, more people know about you, and then they find out the locations that it's sold. And, and I always maintain with makeup, people won't buy makeup until they've touched it and felt it and put it on their hands. So they will always seek out their stockist. So we actually started building the website before the settlement went through, before the contracts were even signed, because I knew that that was really important. So we we bought the business on the 20th of June and we launched the website on the 16th of July. And that was a fully fledged all singing and all dancing website. So there was an element there. There was an element of risk, actually, because we actually never really had an advanced signed contract. We just signed on the day and it was done. So wow. there, was an, there was an element of risk, but I was so confident of Fiona because I knew her, she was a friend, and I was so confident in my ability to make this business work that, it, you know, the risk to me seemed minimal. minimal. Yeah. Well, it's obviously um, and going well. So it's been two and a half years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah which is great. And look, I'm... Uh, and we've moved factory twice. And we've, we've is, that, had, is that for growth reasons? So the first um, the first time was because Isada had a factory and I had a factory, mm -hmm. and so it made sense no sense having two spaces. So I put one into the other, but underestimated how much we would grow and the volume of stock we would 
be bringing in and then needed a bigger factory. And we ended up with a, the factory we're in now is six times the size of the one we had before. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is that's so impressive. But I'm not moving for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's an, an, you know, just an impressive story to say in that period. One thing you're obviously very amazing at is taking something and growing it quickly, which is a unique talent, you know, and I suppose you've got, you've done things even with the SADA, maybe, you know, whereas uh, the most recent thing I've seen is, you know, your your products have been in the Logie bags. Uh, Logies, what am I talking about? The Oscar, Oscar bag. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that. That's amazing. How did you get that opportunity? Um, this is luck. This one is luck. Um, <laughs> we have a super fan who just loves what we do. And, and in fact, that was the, one of the reasons I bought Asada was because everywhere I went, people were talking about it. And a lot of um, mature, ma more mature women. So it's not really a brand for young kids, although now a lot of kids are buying it as well. But, you know, women in their sort of 30s and 40s who understand skincare, who I came into contact probably because of the business and of the clinic business and the business I'm in, they'd all say, oh, I know Asada, I use Asada. And people used to say to me, what do you use on the skin? And I've been using Asada for 12 years. Yeah. So um, I met this this customer, I was at a drinks party one night and this girl said, what do you do? And I said, I own a Sada. And she said, I wear a Sada. I love a Sada. And, you know, and got all that. And it was fantastic. And she's a wonderful person. We got on very well. And the next thing I know is she calls me. She says, I've put you forward to the LA gifting um, suite for the Oscar goodie bags. And I said, what are they? <laughs> to be honest with you, like, I don't, I mean, this is one thing about me is I don't really follow films, movie stars. Yeah, I didn't even know who the Kardashians were till years down the line. So, you know, it's not my thing. So she explained to me what they were, and I was like, yes, okay, I've vaguely heard of those. And then the next thing I know is she said, oh, you're in, you're in. And so I said, but what did you put forward? And the pack she put forward was actually one that wouldn't suit every skin. And I said, oh, I'll have to swap that about. We'll have to find something that's more generic because we, we, we don't know who, who's going to be getting them. So we had a bit of fun doing that, and we pulled together something that was safe for all skins. And, um, and yeah, and we were in, which is fantastic. And the PR was insane. I've had ah. phone calls from UK, America, all over the world, people who's, who were suddenly interested in the brand and potential stockists and potential um, uh, distributors. So it's been quite exciting. What a fantastic opportunity. <laughs> Good yeah, on you. Yeah. That is just, when I saw that, I went, wow, go Deb. <laughs> that is great. So what's, the, um, what's your vision um, for Asada moving forward? Yeah, so look, I've taken quite, um, yeah, this is quite kind of a new thought for me in, in the way I've looked at this business because I've finally worked out, I don't, you know, I don't work for any other reason than I love it. You yeah. know, I do love, love, love it. And um, I like it when my staff love it. And I like it when I work with people who are inspired, engaged and get on with it. And, you know, I've had a couple of staff, follow me over from Australian Skin Clinics and, you know, one in particular, Cindy, is working with me. She's coming as my COO, but she helped me grow Australian Skin Clinics and the um, uh, shop fitting company and the equipment supply company. So she kind of knows how I work. Mm. And so I've taken a view that I want to work only with people who have real talent as opposed to people who are just doing a job and people who see the bigger picture. So I've taken 10% um, of the shares of the business and we're in the process of putting that into an employee trust. And over time, I see that that employee trust will end up with more shares. That's my goal. So mm -hmm. that I can sort of paint myself slowly out of the room. 
But yes. in the meantime, I want to help the people who are working alongside me now have futures for themselves because at the end of the day, people get relatively few opportunities to do the sort of thing that I've done. Mm-hmm. And and I've realised, I realised actually a bit of an aha moment is that I've got ADHD. Yeah. Right. Say, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> but I only realised that myself in the last sort of 12 months. That's amazing. Yeah. And so I've looked at things and said, well, I've been given, I think it's a gift. So I think I've got this amazing gift that I've been given. I want to share it with others. So my plan is to reward the staff who come along with me. And I've done the same for the clinic too. I'm in the process of putting shares of the clinic into an employee trust for the clinic staff too. And um, and so I my vision is like three to five years. And then either we'll look to sell out to somebody bigger or maybe we'll transfer more shares to the staff trust for them to carry on. And I always say you can never have one plan. You've got to have plan A, B, C, D and E. Mm. So there's a few variations of that plan. Um, we followed a few brands. One of the brands we know, um, Revolution Cosmetics is quite well known here now. One of my ex-staff used to work for Revolution and she worked for them when they were about the size of the Sada was when I bought a Sada. And in about five years, they sold for 500 no, £500,000. So it's about a billion dollars. Wow. And, and so, you know, the, the staff got excited by that, you know, let them be excited. I said, Let, let's have a realistic goal to go for. Yes. Um, but we, we can go for a big goal. And that's that's how I'm trying to pitch it to them is like, we're in this together. Let's see where it takes us. Oh, that's fantastic. And I think by the sounds of it, it's meeting um, both the needs for the staff to be incentivized and grow something and take the reins and run with it but but from what I'm reading about you and hearing about you is I don't think Deb you're ever going to retire but you want that connection without too much involvement and have that excitement and that growth and all those sorts of things which is which is a really good idea for you to do and, it. And I, and I want to reward people with talent so people who really do see the vision really do want to go where we want to go and you know I've got some amazing people on the team you know I really do have some good staff and so I want to make sure that they're rewarded and they stay with the team. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of the goal. Oh, wow. That's that's a fantastic goal. Um, I'm just going to touch also on your um, being the member of uh, board of directors and founding member of the Aura Medical Group. Yeah, okay. So that was um, born out of... Um, when I first sold ASC, I was approached by the founder um, of Aura and um, she asked me to come on board. In fact, initially she asked me if I'd take the CEO role, but I was still under a non-compete clause with ASC. And I'd already at that point, I was in the process of we were we had valor, but I was doing the due diligence on Asada. So I said, no, I can't do it. And time went by. With COVID, they didn't get off the ground as fast as they'd expected to. And then when they sort of did get off the ground, they said, do you want to come and join us? And I'm like, no, I've got a SADA now. I, I can't do that. So they asked me if I'd be on the board and be a founder shareholder and be a founder in the business. So I did that. We are backed by um, Fortitude Investments in Brisbane. So we've got mm-hmm. private equity behind us. And we're looking specifically in dermatology, um, skin cancer clinics, aesthetic cosmetic clinics, and hair transplant clinics, but all doctor-led ones. So not the laser clinic type franchise. We're, we're looking, 
we're looking at individual clinics. Yeah, it's really fascinating uh, for me. I just attended the Australian Society of Cosmetic Dermatology Conference um, two weekends ago, just before uh, Easter, and there was a whole uh, segment on that. And, um, you know, we had somebody who'd had the experience of being bought out at a dermatology practice through the, the Aura Group and those sorts of things. So that area is also another area through my business consulting I can see is speaking of things that are going to happen is the commercialization of that whole medical specialist space yeah, yeah. and again this is something I have a lot of experience in because back yeah. in the, back in the UK one of the roles I had so although I owned a general practice with with the doctors I used to work and do consultancy work for the health authority and I used to get invited to think tanks in mm-hmm. the um Department of Health, they had a department called the Prime Minister's Office of Public Reform, mm. and that's where they used to do think tanks about how they could develop services. And as a result of that, I often got called into crisis management, GP practice mm. practices. So there would be practices where perhaps the partners were in dispute and they want they needed to split, or they had they were in a rural area and they had recruitment issues, mm. or you know the population was leaving town and they didn't have enough patience so there'd, there'd be various reasons why we mm. we'd go in there but one of the solutions we used to do or we did several times was we would find someone to buy the building because in G- in the uk gps tended to own their premises yes. so we'd get someone to buy the building and then employ them instead of them being partners often they'd be weary of managing their own business or they'd got managers who weren't coping or they had wives who were doing a bad job of managing the business. So there was a whole raft of things. And so we actually, I suppose that's where my knowledge that I that I bring to Aura is not just in the aesthetics world and how to manage aesthetics business, but the bigger picture of, of health. Yes. And that's that's probably another podcast, actually, in fact, <laughs> discuss because healthcare and that sort of the um the environment and how it's set up is very dynamic at the moment and changing but uh it's, it's interesting all the experience that you've had in the past in that particular area now deb um i've got to ask how how what do you do for relaxation um yes i've often asked this so the the honest answer is i don't do enough so but you know i there's things i do that keep me sane so i try every week to have at least one massage too if i can mm. i love my downtime with my husband i love spending time with my kids who are like 23 and 25 now so they're not so tiny anymore um i just had an amazing trip to italy with my oldest son we went to a couple of conferences and had a week in between doing Pompeii and Venice and all those sort of things. Um, travel is my sanity. So COVID years nearly killed me with not being able to. Oh, I hear you. Yes, I was much the same, yeah. But I'd say even on that, on a plane journey, all I do is work. That's my answer to a plane journey. It's a day in the office, just get on with it. And um, and I find I get inspiration from being in new places, you know, like even in Italy, I'd walk past the clinic and I'd be looking at the marketing and I'd look at the look and I'd and I'm in and out of the cosmetic shops buying samples of products to see if they were better or worse than my my products, you know. So I suppose I do a bit of both. I don't switch off easily. Yeah, but it's um I suppose it's important you know that about yourself because your engagement is a pleasure to you, as you've said right at the beginning. You're doing it because you like it. 
And I'm working harder because interestingly, I had my brother here for 12 weeks over the just before Christmas to New Year. So 12 weeks. And my brother's got ADHD and he's worse than I am. And to try and have a conversation with him without him zoning out and going somewhere else is a nightmare. And my husband said to me, welcome to my world. I've lived with that for 34 years. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it would be a great insight actually. Now, Deb, this is the last bit of the podcast where I like to call them the rapid fire questions. So first thing that comes to mind, um, what business decision did you make that if you had your time again, you would handle differently? Um, I wouldn't have gone into business. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have sold half of Australian skin clinics. I would have kept it. <laughs> but would I do it differently? I'm not so sure because I do like the life I've got now. And I also think there's no time for regret. You've got to live life with a no regret policy. So, yeah. yeah. So maybe more careful about business partners. Yeah. And, and I maybe no more business partners. <laughs> no more business partners. It really is like entering into a marriage. I would agree there. <laughs> a business <laughs> I think I was spoiled because I was in business with the eight doctors for 18 years in the UK and we had a blast. Mm. I wouldn't say we always agreed. We used to do, we used to make decisions based on the majority vote. And so sometimes you wouldn't get your way and sometimes you would, but we just all kind of accepted it was a majority vote mm. and we never fell out and we, we never had any arguments. And it was, I think I was spoiled because they were just a group of wonderful people. And I think I thought everyone in the world was like that. And I learned it, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah, it's tough, tough lesson to learn. Who inspires you? I take inspiration from real people. So often people say to me, oh, you know, what do you think of Richard Branson and what do you think of this? And I can't relate to them because I don't know them. So I often take inspiration just from normal people that I've met. And over the years, you know, nuggets of experience of other people uh, can be monumental in changing the way you think about things and the, the way you, you do things. Yeah. Uh, for example, I've got an ex-staff member in the UK who is like the happiest, sunniest, shiniest person you could meet, always positive, always happy. But when you look at her personal story, oh, my gosh, she's got so much tragedy in her life. I don't know how she gets up in the morning. You know, mm. so if I'm ever having a bad day, I think of her and I think, you know what, if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's that's great. You're comparing yourself to others. It's fantastic. And the last one is words of wisdom to your younger self. I think it's okay to be quirky. So I spent many years feeling like a square peg in a round hole. Um, the amount of times I've said, why don't people get it? Or being frustrated because people don't understand something that, to me, is really simple. Yeah. And I've always seen that, not that they're stupid, but there's something wrong with me, that I must be wrong. I must be not thinking straight. So I think that it is okay to be quirky. And um, and sadly, I only realised last year, as I said, why I'm quirky. And, yeah. you know, I wish I'd realised that sooner. And I think the other thing is to say you are enough because I think I grew up in a household where you – were you were expected to fit into the parents' norms. So it's my mum, my stepfather, I relate to here. But you know, this is how a girl should be. This is how this is what your career is expected. This is what your life is expected. And I spent my whole life thinking never, never, never. 
Um, and then thinking that because because I wouldn't do it or couldn't do it, I was never enough. And okay. um, and I am enough, and I know that now. But again, it took me a long time. I think I would have been faster at everything I've done if I'd not if I'd not had that anxiety at the back of my head that I wasn't mm. enough. Mm. Yes, it's constant challenge, uh, the pigeonholing of the female and what they expect, especially a generation ago as well. It's changed a lot now, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I my really... own grand, my own grandfather, who I love dearly, yeah. once said to me, um, "Oh, you need to be a secretary." Um, be a secretary and then you might find a wealthy boss to marry and then you can stay at home. And the thought of staying at home doing housework, like, I mean, even now I don't do housework. My husband does the housework. I do not like housework. But I can remember saying to him, I'm never going to learn to type. I'll never need to type. Good on you. you, you, you. That was before computers. So I've had to learn since. <laughs> For another reason, though. Another yeah. reason. Well, Deb, you're such an inspiration and thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're, um, there's about another million podcasts I need to do with you, women in leadership, women in business, um, the changing landscape of the, you know, medical specialty and so forth, which hopefully we might have a chance, but good luck with Asada and moving forward as well. And um, and I'd like to thank you, Deb Farnworth-Wood, for th giving us your time today and telling us your amazing story. You're more than welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me on. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to The Doctor Diaries. You can find out more about our amazing guests on our website, hanyarovesby.com.au or join our Instagram page, Doctor Diaries Podcast, to find out more about our podcasts. We look forward to you joining us again.